Okay. 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 First of all, thank you. Thank you very much for hosting. Thank you for putting together. Um, before we get started with the actual shear where we are talking about healthy steam, healthy self-esteem equals healthy relationships. That's the title of the, uh, of the shear that we're going to work on. Following the last class that we did. When was that? That was a month ago, right? Rosh Chodesh Adar was the last one. Okay, where we spoke about, we started talking about healthy steam. But before that, I brought these fancy packets over here. I have a little souvenir for everybody, okay? In honor of Pesach coming up, it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So I put together, there's something I put together as a project I did a few years ago um, for a shear I was giving a number of years back about, about the Seder. And uh, so I put together sheets about the 10 Makos, and um, the basis, so these are, you know, feel free to uh, use them at the Seder, not at the Seder, whatever, whatever you like, take for your friends and family. Um, but the basic idea, just to go through, we'll spend a few minutes on it just to, to understand what's going on here. The, okay. sure, the Seder, the Seder night, the Sefer Achinuch tells us that we have, we have so many mitzvahs throughout the year that are Zecher Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's like constantly coming up. It's this constant theme that never ends. Zecher Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, everything we do. Kiddush, Sukkot, Mezuzah, Tefillin, everything throughout the year. So like why? Why is this mitzvah so, so central, so critical? Why don't we just have Pesach and that's it, that's enough. And he answers because, because the, the idea of remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which happens you know, mostly on Pesach, but the idea of remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is so fundamental and so critical to Yahazos. It is the, it, 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 it's the basis. It's the basis for everything. And therefore, when it comes the Seder night, okay, we have to spend so much, like, so much time and so much focus on building within our kids, building within ourselves, within our families, the concepts of Amuna and the idea of, of, of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, what happened, because that's the fundamentals, that is the fundamental of Yiddishkeit. And therefore, we have so many mitzvahs throughout the year because we want to constantly remind ourselves of that because it, it's, the, it's the basis for everything. It's the basis for everything. You know, the Ramban says the same idea. He says that there were people during those time periods who were kofrim and they didn't believe in Hashem. They didn't believe Hashem created the world. They didn't believe Hashem maintains the world. Some people said he did create the world, but he doesn't run the world. All kinds of stuff like that. And all of that is kfira. And the Ramban says that the reason why we have to constantly talk about Mitzrayim is because that's when Hashem showed that he is the creator of the world and that he's the one who maintains the world. That every single thing that happens in this world is, is from Hashem. Hashem who created it, Hashem is making it happen. And without it, like we're lost. We don't have, we don't have the basis. We don't have the basics of Yiddishkeit. So, so the point of the Seder night is really to talk about all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did on that night, as much as we can, as much as we can, how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu did on that night in all the detail to... Um, to create the world, to change the world, to recreate the world, and all of that happened through the Makos. Every single one of the Makos, that's what it was. It was that Kodesh Baruch Hu changing around nature, showing, um, you know, showing the world that he's the one who's in control. And every detail was another, is another nuance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu showing his, showing his greatness. In fact, that's why Hashem hardened Paro's heart. That's at least one of the Pshatim, continuously. Because he just wanted to show the world. That's what the Ramban says. Hashem wanted to just continue to show the world his greatness in so many different ways. So tonight's year, we're not talking about this, but 
Um, but just that's basically, that's what we did on these sheets, and it's for everyone to enjoy that every single one of the makos to go through just exactly what happened. And I Thank went you. through, sure, my pleasure, I went through a, a, a bunch of different Haggadahs to be able to put this together and, um, and just put down the facts. The facts. What happened? What happened by Dam? What happened by Tzfardeya? What happened by Arov? Uh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if you, just, if you want to just jump to page four, just to Arov real quick, because that's my favorite. Um, and I love the pictures that I stole from Google Images for that one. But, uh, but you know, the, the, there's so many things over here that, like, the, number two, the ground of each of the wild animals' natural habitat came with them. So they should feel the most comfortable and therefore have full strength in their attack. Okay, so that means, if you think about that, that's a crazy nace. That means that there were polar bears who are used to the freezing cold and they had ice all around them. Do you, do you have the cat's Pesach Haggadah? If you don't have that Haggadah, it's worthwhile to get. They sell it on Amazon. It's like 30 bucks. I'm not getting a cut for it. I'm not getting a cut. But the... It's, it's purple-ish. It's like, it's very... Um, it's all pictures, and it's all, and they're all drawn by uh, by Gadi Pollock. You know what I'm talking about? The cat's Pesach Haggadah. So it was written. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what you mean. I'm sorry. Yes, it has two pages like that. That it opens up by the Shibud Mitzrayim, and then right, it has on the front. It has the guy who's getting beaten. You have that one. Yes, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it was written by Rabbi Baruch Chait from Eretz Yisrael. And he, I mean, it's like, it's incredible. It's incredible the amount that, like, what he was able to do, the service that he did for Kali Yisrael. Because, like, I think that with that, like you said, that at the end, if you know how to use that Haggadah, at the end of the Haggadah, he, he breaks down every single picture throughout the Haggadah and gives you exactly, sources it, and tells you exactly where, like, where that little detail in the picture was. Um, where it's sourced, and which medrash, and the Mayam Lois, and this and that, and the other thing. Anyone from the picture, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. They're actually selling it. It's only 30 bucks now. I think last year it was like more money. I don't know. But I think it could be he reprinted it. It could be he reprinted it. But it's, you know what it is? Because somebody, somebody said to me today, I was, giving, I was giving a shir today in Hollywood this afternoon, and somebody said a point that like, like they feel like they're, you know, understanding, which probably a lot of us have, like, uh, you know, very often our understanding of Yetzirah Mitzrayim may be the same thing that we had from when we were in elementary school. And, and it's true. And it's true. It is true. Um, if not for me preparing these types of shurim, I would also, it would be the same thing, you know. But when you're, you know, but when you start to take a look, you take a look at the Haggadahs and you really look, it's supposed to be something that we're, we're really, not, not necessarily that we gain new knowledge every year, because, you know, there's a finite amount of knowledge, right? It says in the Haggadah that even the greatest Chachamim, they would do this every day. They stayed up the whole night, right? What were they doing? They knew it already. But the point is that to review it and to go over it and to not have the same understanding as we had in fifth grade as adults, but like to go through it and to really like see, whoa, even if I may know that fact already, but whoa, look at what our Kaddish Baruch Hu did. But also with maturity, all these, these facts mean something different to us now at the yeah. average. So That's true. Incredible. That's true, you know, and if we can, and the, the more that we do this, and, you know, we go through, 
stuff like this because I put it together. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, you know, but the more, really, the more that we go through the details of the story, because that is the, um, th- th- that's the main part of the Seder. Okay, that is the main part of the Seder. And a, a Rebbe of mine, um, my Roshiva in high school, Rabbi Menachem Davidowitz, he used to say, he used to tell, he used to tell us before Pesach, he would say to everybody, he said, if you have any influence as to what goes on at the Seder, he said, it's best to try to, to spend more time at the Seder on the actual story of what happened in Mitzrayim. Now, that, that sounds, while that sounds simple, that's not usually what happens because the beginning of the Haggadah, the beginning of Magid, at least you have Manashtana, Halach Ma'anya, right? Where we're talking about inviting the guests and Manashtana and all the kids have something wonderful to say and they do, and they do. And then there's, you know, and then there's the four sons, which is, there's so much information there, but that's not the story. The story starts after all that at the point when we all start getting like really hungry and everybody's like, let's move this along and let's get the Shulchan Aruch already. That's, but that's really where the, the crux of the Seder is, where we talk about what happened, the fact that we were slaves, what they did to us, uh, how, much, how difficult the labor was. All of that is there. And then getting into the Makos and getting into the Yamsuf and all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, all the Nisim, Hashem turning the world upside down. That's what builds, you know, that's what builds Amuna, and that's what instills these concepts within, within our families. So, Be'ezus Hashem, we should be able to use all of the different things out there. This, the Katz Haggadah, all the other Haggadahs to be able... The Katz Haggadah is, is so incredible because it really brings it to life. And it's, it's not, yeah, and it's, it's like, when you see it at first, it looks like a kid's Haggadah. But it's not because, you know, because of what Mrs. Gruner was saying, like every single detail, I feel bad I didn't bring it, but okay, if you have it, every, every picture that Gadi Pollock drew there, it's not just like, oh, like a nice picture, the Nardis, but yeah, it's all fact, every single detail of the picture. And he breaks down at the end of the, at the end of the book, at the end of the Haggadah, he breaks down every detail in every picture of where that's sourced and where that's based on that, that Gemara, that Medrash, et cetera, et cetera. So... It's very real. It's very real. It, it really, really brings it to life. And especially like the pages that, that pull out. The, so, so he has, one of the pages that pulls out is the Sheba Mitzrayim page. He goes through, it's a page like this. So it's three pages, one, two, three. And it has like loads of Jews doing all kinds of work. And every single one is sourced. This is, what ha- this is actually what happened in Mitzrayim. And you just look at all the different details and, and make it happen. I, I had I had this close to um, to uh, to lead a Kirov Seder a few years ago. We were working in Kirov um, before we moved here. We were doing campus outreach in Stony Brook University, so we, we stayed there for Pesach the first year, and we, we ran a Kirov Seder, my wife and I. And um, and so one of the things we did that a friend of mine gave me this idea to buy tons of cat's haggadahs and somehow I think I got it sponsored we worked it out like tons I bought tons of them but um, and, and I put into each of those pages that comes out with the Shiva and Mitzrayim like different numbers in every single haggadah like a one two three by the different um, by, the, by the different things that are happening and then as the Seder went along with all of these secular Jews around the table we went around the table and said everybody whoever like wants to just what's going on like what's going on at number one what's going on at number two what's going on at number three and this is not something that has to be done for secular Jews this can be done for and this, this is something this is a good idea to be done for everybody I still have those numbers in my Katz Haggadahs and going through like oh wow 
That's what they made the Jews do? They really made the Jews go out into the wilderness to try to bring back crocodiles for no apparent reason, and the Jews were killed as they went to go get those crocodiles in the, and they didn't make it back alive? Really? And that's, like, that's there, right? They made them sit with the lamps on their forehead all night, and if they would move, then they would kill them to be able to provide light for the Egyptians? They really made them do that, but they did. That's what it says. That's the Midrash was saying. That's what, so this Haggadah, it, like, it, it just makes all this so real. And that's, and that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, that's what it's supposed to be about. And, and it, we, it's beautiful if we talk about the four sons and we, talk, and we do a lot of Manishtanas. It's, it is nice. But we could accomplish so much more as far as our Amuna, talking about really like the story, what happened and what happened to the Jews there and what Akash Baruch did for us. You know, so... That's my pitch about the Haggadah. That's my pitch about the Haggadah. Okay, so let's get into tonight's class. So we're going to talk about healthy self-esteem and healthy relationships. We touched on some of these concepts. Here we go. So more sheets. More sheets for everybody. Um, we touched on some of these concepts last time, um, but we didn't talk about the context of relationships. Did we talk last time about the elephant? Did we talk about the elephant? I don't think we spoke about the elephant. Okay. Okay. You don't remember. Okay, fine. So it's all good. I don't think so. So in, in 1944... Okay, before we get to the actual sources here, but in 1944, Barnum and Bailey was running their circus and they had all of their classic acts and one of their classic acts was the elephants, these massive elephants, and they did all their shtick and their dances and whatever. And they were doing a show, I forget where, but it was uh, somewhere in America, but, um, and it was being done in this big tent, okay? And, um, and there was a sellout crowd and in the middle of the act... There was a, in the middle of the, of the circus, um, there was a fire that broke out. And the place was so crowded, people weren't able to get out. And there were a lot of people that were killed on that day. And it was a terrible, terrible devastation, terrible tra- tragedy. One of the things that happened on that day was that all of the elephants, they all broke loose. And the elephants got out. And they probably stopped them. I don't think they caused that much, that much damage. But as a result, Barnum and Bailey had to, they lost a lot of money because they had to purchase new elephants. Now, one may ask, why did they have to purchase new elephants? The elephants didn't get lost. They were still there. So the reason is they had to purchase new elephants because the elephants, the way that they keep the elephants, you ever kind of wonder in these places, how do you keep elephants? So the way they do it is they have them, um, from, they, they, uh, they raise them from when they're babies. And when they're babies, they attach their foot to a little, like, a uh, little stoke in the ground. And, you know, not as a, uh, not as a painful thing, but just they, they attach it there at night. And this way the elephant tries to pull, the baby elephant tries to pull, it can't get away. And it can't get away, and in the morning they take him out again. And then at night they put him back, once again can't get away, and the elephant learns that he can't, he can't get away, he can't pull out of this thing because I'm not strong enough. Now, eventually, the elephant gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and is like tens of thousands of pounds and is a grown adult. They still, when the elephant at night, they put the elephant, they attach the elephant with the rope to this thing. Now, this little nerdy rope can be broken instantaneously by an elephant. But the elephant doesn't do it because the elephant learned that I'm stuck. The elephant learned from when, from when he was young that I'm stuck, I can't break out of this. There's no way I could break loose. And therefore, even as an adult, weighing tens of thousands of pounds, having such incredible strength, the elephant can't break out. 
that day with the fire, the fire was so powerful and strong that the elephants like were scared for their life and they mustered up all their strength and they pulled away from these stokes and they got out and the trainers knew that there's no way I'll be able to put them back because they know that they could get out. And the nimshal is that it's the same thing. It's the same thing that happens when a person has, when a person has, has low self-esteem issues. It's just like that elephant. A person with low self-esteem issues, what ends up happening is that individual is like, is stuck. They get stuck. They get, they, they train themselves, not on purpose, but they're training themselves from a young age to feel like I can't accomplish, I can't do, I can't have a healthy relationship. And we're going to talk about that tonight. I'm pathetic. I don't have anything to offer the world. And as a result, even when they do have something incredible to offer the world, they're stuck. Their hands are tied because of the low self-esteem. And it plays such an incredible role when it comes to relationships. And by the way, we spoke about this last time that Dr. Tversky, Rabbi Dr. Tversky said that it's all, you know, that, that one central concept of low self-esteem plays out in so many different ways. That's so one thing. It's one thing. The low self-esteem plays out as far as the person's career, as far as, um, you know, as far as everything in life. And it's just, it's the same thing playing out when it comes to the relationships. Okay. Let's take a look at the top of the page. This quote, I, we said this quote last time, but um, I wanted to put it on the paper here because I didn't put it on the paper last time. Dr. David Lieberman says as follows. He says that to the degree that we lack self-esteem, we cannot love ourselves fully. To fill this emotional void, we turn to the world for approval. This behavior illuminates the source of all negative emotions and interpersonal conflicts. It's a powerful statement. All negative emotions and interpersonal conflicts. The acceptance and recognition that we crave comes in the form of respect. We erroneously believe that if only others would respect us, we would be able to respect ourselves by converting the adoration and praise of others into self-love. Our self-worth is therefore dependent on others' opinions. Our self-worth is dependent on others' opinions. Um, and that's how, that's how a person with low self-esteem is living their entire life. Okay? Constantly thinking that I have no value. My only value is dependent upon somebody else and how other people view me. And if they don't view me, in a, and if I don't feel that they view me in a positive light, not that if they don't view me in a positive light, but if I don't feel that they view me in a positive light, so then, terrible. Then it's terrible. And they're not going to be able to have positive and healthy relationships. This beautiful Sefer, Kavada Atzmi, that this, was, uh, that this year is based on. So he says as follows, number one, issue number one, we did the same thing here as he did in the last year, relationship issues that are created by low self-esteem. Number one is, ha ha, I'm better than you. And this time, by the way, I translated, I did everyone a favor. I translated the pieces from the Sefer that we put on the sheet into English. So this way, it's there, it's simple. I know this Hebrew is not, it's not simple Hebrew, and there's no nekudos, and it just makes it complicated. So I put it there in the English, and we'll just read the English for the sake of, uh, for the sake of time. So he says like this, One who deals with feelings of low self-esteem will try to cover up his issue and act overly chashuv. I wasn't trying to translate chashuv. So I just went with chashev. Okay, overly chashev by slighting others and will want to rule over them. However, through these slights, he brings about the opposite conclusion. Those people, those people immediately feel his inner weakness because someone who is truly strong inside has no need to rule over others. 
And in turn, they won't be interested in him and won't listen to his insults. And this will only strengthen his negative feelings about himself. So a person with low self-esteem, okay, a person with low self-esteem, they want to cover it up, okay? They feel this lack inside. Rabbeinu Yonah spoke about this. I didn't put it on the sheet, but Rabbeinu Yonah, one of the Rishonim, spoke about this many, many, many years ago, that, that oftentimes the feeling of gaiva, of haughtiness that a person may have, comes from the fact that a person inside feels low about themselves. They feel a certain lack that I can't, um, I, I don't feel fulfilled in a certain area, I don't feel good in a certain area. And as a result of that, now they feel like they have to rule over other people and they have to um, assert themselves more over others. Okay? But he had, he's writing, the Kavarazmi, he's writing that people see right through it, which is so true. People with a healthy self-esteem, right? People with a healthy self-esteem can see right through it. You can see right through it when a person has, has low self-esteem and they're acting out of it. And as a result, we just... We may not be able to help it, but we just kind of naturally may look down on that person. And as a result, that person now feels worse about themselves. So it's a vicious, it's a vicious cycle that ends up happening. Okay? Number two. Number two, self-fulfilling prophecies. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite. Not favorite, but you know what I mean. Um, one of the most fascinating. Rabbi Tversky says like this. He says that a person who does not believe he can be loved anticipates being rejected. The suspense as to when and how this will happen may result in such severe tension that he does something to precipitate the rejection. Painful as the rejection may be, there is a relief that it is finally over. Another possible scenario is to reject the other person before that person has a chance to do the rejecting. There is a cute story that he says that, uh, that he says about a, uh, there was a boy, he woke up he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's screaming. Little boy, he's screaming, he's crying. And the mother says, what's wrong? What happened? And he says, you're going to hit me. You're going to hit me. She says, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, I'm not going to hit you. I'm your mother. I love you. What do you mean? What? No, no, everything's okay. You must have had a bad dream. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. But he gets louder and louder and he's screaming, no, you're going to hit me. You're going to hit me. I'm telling you, you're going to hit me. And she says, no, it's all okay. Nothing's wrong. You're, you must be imagining something. Don't worry about it. No, you're going to hit me. And he's getting louder and louder. And as the time goes on, she starts to get a little bit more like agitated. No, nothing, nothing's going to happen. It's fine. No, nothing's going to happen. I'm telling you, I'm not going to hit you. Everything is fine. Don't worry. But he's screaming louder and louder. You're going to hit me until eventually she hits him. <laughs> she hits him. And he says, you see, I told you you were going to hit me. Right? And he said, the, the moral of the story is that a person, this is not a true story, don't worry, but the moral of the story is when a, you know, it's, when a person kind of causes, person has self-fulfilling prophecies, they cause negative things to happen to them because of their actions. Okay? There was a, uh, there was a study that was done by a psychologist named Sandra Murray. I think she was from the University of Buffalo. And she did a very interesting study on college students where she did the same thing on married couples too. So we'll talk about both. But the one on college students she did was as follows. And it was exactly this point. It was very cool. She took, um, she took students, people that were friends, and she had one student, okay, call them student A, pretend to be angry. Okay, pretend to be like very upset, very down. Okay, not necessarily angry at the other person, but just very upset, in a bad mood. That's the way we say it, in a bad mood. Okay, 
And then the other person, okay, friend A, okay, would come on in the room and see friend B in a bad mood. And she evaluated how friend A would respond to friend B being in the bad mood. And what she found was as follows, that without anybody saying anything, when friend, if friend A was a person who had low measures of self-esteem, which I don't know how she figured that out, but I guess she tested them all before and she figures out low self-esteem. The people with the low self-esteem, they interpreted their friend's um, you know, anger and the fact they were upset, they, they interpreted it as that they were upset at them. And in turn, they would like fight back, they would get upset back at them, and this like fight would start. And she did the same exact thing with married couples, and it was the same thing. The spouse, if a spouse had measures of low self-esteem, then the other spouse, when they were upset and in a bad mood, the first spouse viewed it as like, oh, they must be upset at me. So in turn, they would respond back, and they would respond back with something negative without anybody saying anything. Nobody said anything negative to you. But they would respond back, that spouse would respond to the other one, negatively and upset because I know that you're going to reject me. I know that you're, I know that you're upset at me. I can tell that you're upset at me. Fascinating thing. Self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When a person feels low self-esteem, and I have a quote from her over here, fascinating thing she says, um, but she said like this, Murray's research, here's the, uh, the article, Murray's research in the Journal of Personal Relationships and the Journal of Pers- Personality and Social Psychology warns that low self-esteem may cause a sensitive and insecure individual to read incorrect meanings into ambiguous cues given by their partners. The behavior that follows provokes the very relationship outcome that they want to avoid. Isn't that interesting? Self-fulfilling prophecies. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. When a person has this low self-esteem, so, so, uh, you know, so then I naturally think that other people are upset at me. Other people look down on me, look down on me, and I, in turn, am going to respond back with a negativity, and that just creates, creates negative relationships. Okay? But it also sounds like if you have, if a person has low self-esteem, and they always think that it's their fault. It's also very self-centeredness. It also, I feel like you also have a very hard time seeing other people's perspectives. Because if you walk in and your husband is in a bad mood and you think, I must have done something, you have a hard time thinking, like, what is going on in his life or what's going on in that other person's yep. life? So you, it's, like, it's like a big umbrella. Like yep. There's so many other issues entangled with it. Exactly. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. That's what happens. That's one of the issues also, that a person... People with low self-esteem are going to be very self-centered, yeah. not not because of a negative needs of self-centeredness. Not about you, like, right? It's just not right, know? right. But because they can't see past themselves, because right. they can't they can't see past themselves, right. they can't see past themselves. That's it, you know. So their whole life is trying to figure out and trying to to get themselves to a point to try to get, like Dr. Lieberman was saying at the beginning to try to get to this point of self-love that they're never going to be able to reach with it unless they get the appropriate help or unless they actually build up their self-esteem. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. So let's go on. Let's go on to number three. This is an interesting one. Handling an insult. Okay? We usually think insults are bad, and they are. <laughs> right? Insults are not a good thing. Okay? But how a person goes about handling an insult, I mean, as adults, 
we know the world is not the world is not like this like peaceful lovey-dovey place okay where everyone is wonderful and everyone is so nice and everyone is so flowery and greets you with a proper good morning all the time, right? No, it doesn't work that way, right? The world is, is a, a very real place and people will say things over the course of our lifetime that are mean, that are insulting, that are hurtful. That's the reality, okay? Whether it be, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a friendship, whether it be at work. Or your child. Or your child, <laughs> right? True. I wasn't going to say it, but you're right. <laughs> you're 100% right, especially now, especially in 2023. It's like, woo, yeah. right? There's a, a whole ton of that. But... How do we handle that insult? That's really, right, that's really the question. So look at what he says. Sefer Kavadasmi writes like this. A person who lacks the correct value of themselves feels insults very deeply and they cause significant damage to his honor more than a person that trusts in himself and recognizes his personal value. The reason for this is that, when, is that what carries this person through is that others value him, like Dr. Lieberman said before, right? Since he doesn't properly value, uh, okay, right, since he doesn't properly value himself, therefore, if it happens that someone insults him, it appears to him that he doesn't have value in the eyes of others. And now what purpose is there to life, right? Because of this, he can crack from the insult. Or the opposite effect may happen. He may push off the entire insult, even the correct parts of it, and not accept it, and utilize all his power to remain in his tzitka state, even if that is not correct, right? If a person is coming along and insulting, saying that, you know, you're so, you, you, why do you always get so angry, okay? Why are you always talking bad about other people, okay? So they may not have said that in the nicest way to give tochacha, but in a certain way, a person with a healthy self-esteem would be able to take that and say, hey, you know what, maybe I do need to improve in certain ways. Maybe I'm not as patient as I should be. Maybe they're right. And I should, I need to try to improve in my patience. Maybe I need to stop speaking so badly about other people. Maybe I need to work on my Lashon a little. Okay, that's what a person with a healthy self-esteem may view that type of a uh, encounter. But a person with a low self-esteem? So they're either going to do one of two things. The first thing they're going to do is they may potentially crack because they just can't handle this. I'm like, they're just, that's it. They're finished. Their life is over. Or the second thing is that they'll just toss it off completely. And he says, as opposed to a person who does recognize his value, at the time that he is insulted, he will not fall inside since he recognizes his other strengths and he can accept what is being said willingly and look to fix it up. He may even be happy with the insult. That's a high madriga. <laughs> but he may even be happy with the insult since it helps him to recognize his flaws. And now he knows how to fix them. And now he knows how to fix them. You know, a person, when a person, when a person is insulted, okay, so they're not going to, if they can't handle it, how's a person going to go through life? Okay. Now, a person may, you know, sometimes people may say, sometimes parents may respond to this type of a thing and say like, well, you know, we got to get all the kids to just stop bullying, right? If we would just get all the kids at, to just stop bullying, tell them to stop, tell the, blame it on the school, right? The school should tell the kids that they have to stop bullying and this and that. Okay, and it's true, and it's true. Bullying is not a good thing. And knocking down other kids, and it's, a, it's a terrible thing. And that kid needs work, okay? That, that individual who's doing the uh, insulting... He, he needs help too. He or she needs help too. But like we need to help our kids be able to handle the world 
in like the way that the world is, you know. So if there's going to be like a uh, like a real bubbla attitude, <laughs> you know, towards is like oh bubbla bubbla yeah. So then like when when the kid turns to an adult and then goes into the workplace and then gets one you know negative comment from the boss, it's all over, right? Especially if the child has issues of low self esteem. So to be able you know so to be able to handle to be able to handle an insult to be able to handle some harsh words is so, so, so critical in every single relationship. Every single relationship. And this is another one of the issues, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to self-esteem, when it comes to low self-esteem. Okay, can we continue? Let's continue. Any questions on this point? Okay, let's keep on going. So number four, the ability to speak up in conversation. Interesting. A person who doesn't believe in himself is going to be embarrassed to join with other people and will be hesitant to offer his knowledge. Because of this, he also will not give tochacha to individuals when it's necessary because he thinks that the other person will not listen to my words since in his mind they do not value his words. And if he states his opinion, it will be looked down on in their eyes. And in truth, according to his logic, he is right. Since he doesn't value himself, how could others value him? Therefore, he hides himself as a person that doesn't have an opinion to offer. And these are going to be the people who always remain in the background and never voice their opinion. But how sad that is when you have an individual who everybody is, every single person, has a tremendous amount to offer the world, has a tremendous amount to offer other people, their community, etc. And the person doesn't want to offer their opinion. <clears throat> They're too scared. They're too scared to offer their opinion because of what other people are going to think about me. Because I think that everyone's going to reject my opinion. And especially that point about the tochacha, you know, putting the word tochacha is a very strong word, but sometimes, you know, sometimes in a marriage, certainly as parents, we need to help guide another individual. We need to point out, sometimes we need to point out the things that are the things that are mistaken, especially in the children. Okay, when the spouse, it's a little more complicated, but it's true there too, right? So, if a person has issues of low self-esteem, so then they're never going to do that, and that that other individual is never going to get what they really need. Certainly, a child, certainly a child, right? To uh, you know, to be able to get the upbringing that they need, the help that they need, to be able to get that you know, that assistance to be able to change. If the parent has issues of low self-esteem, the parent's never going to speak up and never going to be able to help the child, right? So ability to speak up in conversation, it's something, you know, something so important. And, um, and when we have issues with low self-esteem, it's constantly, it, it, it's not going to let us, it's not going to let us thrive in that way, Okay. Let's continue to the next, and we're we're gonna start to soon get to some uh, get to some tips of how we're gonna how we're gonna try to solve the world's issues. Okay, we're gonna solve everybody's issues and improve everyone's self esteem. But Rabbi Tversky says like this: He says that I don't deserve to be loved. And I don't deserve to be cared for. This is probably one of the biggest issues in certainly certainly in a marriage. Okay, certainly it affects a marriage. He says unconscious feelings of inferiority may make a person feel that he is incapable of being loved. If others show him affection, he may suspect that they have an ulterior motive. In 
in a marriage relationship. In a marriage relationship, oh, there shouldn't be a period there. In a marriage relationship, he may be insecure about his wife's love for him. This may result in putting her to the test, making demands upon her that would prove her love for him. However, this need is never satisfied, and the demands may become unreasonable. Very sad. But he, he has a book, um, Rabbi Tversky, it's one of his first books, I believe. One of the first books that he wrote was called, what's it called? I have it at home. Love Yourself and Others Will Too. Beautiful title. And that's what the book is about. Catch all of you for the water. Just, he says, love yourself and others will too. Love yourself and others will too. And he talks about in that book, he talks about stories of clients that he had. Thank you very much. Of clients that he had that they suffered, they suffered from low self-esteem. And they, and in turn, it wrecked their relationships. It wrecked their marriages. It wrecked their marriages because they, they, they felt that how could I possibly be loved? I don't deserve to be loved. Why do some people, <clears throat> where does it come from, low self-esteem? Why do some people do that, some people don't have? Like, where does it stem from? Okay, so good question. So first of all, First of all, it's not like a, it's not like a black and white, like some do, some don't. We all have low self-esteem, okay, to a certain degree, okay, to a certain measure. Sorry. <laughs> right? No, but that's just the reality, right? We all, um, you know, I, 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 I'd be surprised. I mean, I, you know, I would want to ask somebody who's a, a real psychologist to find out, but like, I'd be surprised if, oh, you're a real, okay. Social you're a social worker. Does, is there such a thing as people, what do you say? Okay. It's a nature-nurture combination. Okay. But is there such a thing as, a, as like people, or how common is it, people who have 100% healthy self-esteem? Maybe you're a person. <laughs> no, I, I think it's not. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Rabbi Tursky himself wrote. Right, he wrote that he suffered from Yeah, he wrote that. That's what got him into it. Right. That's why he ended up writing 36 books. <laughs> 36 books about the same topic, right? Because that's what got him into it, because he himself suffered from low self-esteem and he recognized it one time after he had already gone into psychology and I don't remember, I forgot the exact story. He realized that he was suffering from low self-esteem and he, he, he worked to build it up. I feel like in this case, I'm that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Saying naturally, probably the same person, the same two people who have the same amount of self-esteem or lack of self-esteem, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's, you know, <clears throat> and so that, that's part of what we're going to be getting into, into the tips, like just talking about that. But the, um, but everybody has it and, and it's, you know, it's a sliding scale on various levels. Not, you know, what we're talking about here and the purpose of this year is, is what's typical and what's typical within the world of low self-esteem that can be helped in a regular way. Um, when it becomes more extreme, so then people really have to get help. And, and that's, that's critical. That's critical for them to be able to do that. This stuff may not help as much, but the nurture is, is critical. And that's what we're, going to, um, what we're going to be getting into very shortly. But let's do the last one over here, number six. Number six on the sheet, honoring difficulty, difficulty honoring others. See what we're at time was. Okay, difficulty honoring others. Someone who doesn't value himself will have a hard time valuing others. Our rabbis have taught who, who is honored, it's in Pirkei Avos, right? One who honors others, right? Uh, what did it say? Right? Whoever recognize, recognizes his value is also able to honor others. 
And one who doesn't value himself is not able to. While it is true that one who doesn't value himself does lower himself before others, however, he's not honoring them. Okay, don't think that a person who lowers himself before other people, that's considered honoring them. That's not honoring them. He says, quite the contrary. He wants that they should also be lacking and lowered just like himself. And therefore, he is likely to stumble and be happy when others fall. As opposed to one who recognizes his value, because he recognizes that he can also see that others have value and be happy and want them to have success. But, um, okay, so let's get into some tips. Okay, let's get into some tips towards a healthier self-esteem and healthier relationships. By the way, the tips are to build healthy self-esteem because the problem is not in the relationship, right? The problem is at the core in the, in the low self-esteem, okay? So, so just because this husband and wife or, or this husband, we'll blame it on the husband because this is a woman's year, okay? But just because this husband has low self-esteem and he's ruining the relationship doesn't mean there's a problem in the relationship, Right? There's no problem with the relationship. There's no problem with her. And there's no problem with him. The only problem with him is the self-esteem that needs to be fixed. Okay? Dr. Ben-Sion Sarutskin, um, I don't know if you've heard the name, well-known um, psychologist, therapist in Brooklyn. He deals, uh, he deals with the Frum community in a very big way, specifically with teens at risk, and very well-respected psychologist. Um, he says like this. He says, what did I title this? Yes, you really are special. He had this whole article, and this is an excerpt from the article. I know it's long, but it's so saturated with good information. Listen to this. He says, Rev Dessler states that every person has a natural need to feel a sense of individuality. It's one of my favorite words, individuality, okay? A sense that he is a person separate from other people. This need leads a person to see qualities in himself that make him superior to others because I need to be an individual, Right? So one could ask, if seeking to feel superior to others is a negative midah, how then does one acquire the necessary feeling of individuality, the feeling of being special in some way and not just one of millions of people? I would like to suggest that the answer lies in feeling special by appreciating our uniqueness rather than by trying to feel superior to others. Uniqueness does not require superiority to others. When Chazal mentioned that every person has a unique appearance, they aren't suggesting that any particular person or particular appearance is superior. Likewise, a unique fingerprint doesn't mean a superior one. Ravalbi writes that if a person truly contemplated the extent of his uniqueness, that from the beginning of time until the end of time, there never was or never will be someone exactly like him, it should cause him to shudder. Wow, somebody like me. There's, there will never ever be, there never was and never will be somebody as crazy as me. Right? I always tell my husband, yeah. you're never going to find a wife like that. And he interprets that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, we married for a long time. We married almost 20 years. There you go. <laughs> so you're at a point that you can say that. That's for sure. <laughs> but... But, 10 years ago. <laughs> but that's the point. Every person is so unique and so special, and but we I have still to value work that. On my self-esteem. It doesn't mean I have yeah, I mean we all need to. So he says, in families and schools where uniqueness is confused with superiority, children are often driven to an unhealthy drive for perfectionism. Underlying the unhealthy need for perfection is the need to feel special. It seems to me that when this natural need is satisfied in childhood with the child feeling that he is subjectively special in his parents' eyes, it will not remain a central focus of a person's daily life. If this need is unfulfilled in childhood, then it can take the form of an unhealthy drive to achieve objective specialness, superiority, perfection 
in adulthood. Okay? So, again, let me read that again because that's critical. It seems to me that when this natural need is satisfied in childhood, with the child feeling that he is subjectively special in his parents' eyes, it will not remain a central focus of a person's daily life. If this need is unfulfilled in childhood, then it can take the form of an unhealthy drive to achieve objective specialness in adulthood. To paraphrase a quote I once saw, you may be only one person in the world, but you should be the world to your parents. Growing up with this feeling of being special in his parents' eyes would help a child be accepting of himself, even if he is less than perfect, and even though there are others who are superior to him. As long as he is special to them, he can accept being average to the rest of the world. It's a powerful quote. Powerful quote. If someone was unique to his parents without having to be objectively superior, then he will be able to believe that he is unique in Hashem's eyes, with a unique mission in this world, even if he isn't superior to others. So tip number one is to tip number one is to help our children to help our children feel feel special. It's never too late. No, 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 no. It's never too late. It's never too late. How can it be too late? I know. I mean, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but... But what if you really what messed you, up? What, yeah, what if you really messed up? Like, you really said not nice things. The fact that you think you really messed up, the child is good for There you go. <laughs> right, I get that. That's a step. I get that. What about the kid? Yeah, but what about the child? Because at a certain age where a child is already, like, feeling not special, that... Because then, even let's say you try and rectify, they'll be like, oh, you're just saying that. You don't really think that. So... This is, this is my thought, but we have a therapist in the room. Okay, so I will defer. I, there you go. <laughs> That's being recorded. So why <laughs> But... This is what I guess. This is what I'm guessing. But tell me if I'm right or wrong. You, you, you would know. I, I, this is what I'm guessing. I'm guessing that... I, I, I really don't believe that there's such a thing as being too late. Because... In other words, if it's about, put it this way, if it's about paying lip service, which is not what he's talking about, if it's like the lip service to, oh, you're so special, blah, 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 like that stuff that like, so that stuff is, that stuff is nonsense. Like that stuff does nothing, right? That stuff doesn't do anything to the kid. What makes that child feel special and what makes us as as adults feel special is when somebody really appreciates you and your talents and who you are and what you have to offer. So that happens, that could happen at any, at any stage, even as an adult, okay? When, think of it as an adult, okay? If you have, if, if, you know, if you are successful at work in a certain project or whatever it may be, and somebody really genuinely compliments you, and, and not, not like one of these, hey, good job, excellent, like smiley face. No, no, none of that, okay? Like, they really genuinely appreciated your work that you did. Can I say an example? Please. Okay, so my daughter, she's 15 and a half. And she um, she wants at home to have cash to be to take care of the kids. Okay. So right now, right now she's babysitting, and <clears throat> and and I tell her, this is true. This is something um my mind is blown by from her that she's very intuitive to the kids. Like I have a baby. He's gonna be seven months year old he she knows exactly what he she knows all his cues like and also my daughter who's four like she really knows so i tell her 
wow, it's amazing right. how you get what they need. She's and she doesn't realize it's like a talent. She's like, I told her you're very intuitive. So that's, that's an amazing like, thing. Yeah, compliment that is really true and like yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's I a compliment that's again, real, right? Then it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Flip service. But, and, and I change it around. But, like, if there's an incident that, like, that she caught or whatever, she's, I'm like, wow, you caught that faster than I did. Yeah. Like, you're amazing. Right, right. So, so they feel. But usually, like, she's in an age where, like, Okay, whatever. You're saying it because you're my mom. <laughs> like, right, right. And like they, that, I, I feel she does believe. They do, yeah. I mean, that's a genuine, that's a perfect example of a genuine, real compliment, compliment making a person feel special. I saw a story a little while ago in a kid's book, um, the kid's book about Rabbi David Tranks, that's all. And uh, this was such a beautiful story about there was a guy in the yeshiva in Adelphia. And, you know, he dealt with the guys that didn't fit into the mold. That's who he dealt with. And there was a guy who had like an interest in, um, you know, in music. So Rabbi Trink went all out to get him lessons, to get him piano lessons and drum lessons. And there was a time when he was playing the drums, this guy. And um, Rabbi Trank was standing right behind him while he was getting the lessons. And he was like so happy. And he was like air drumming, like while he, while this guy was driving a train with his long beard, he was air drumming. And this guy, like, he remembered that. And, and when he left yeshiva and years later, he ended up at a certain point in time while he was, uh, he felt like he like wasn't learning enough and he decided he was going to get into dafyomi. He started doing dafyomi and he finished the whole cycle and he did the whole shas, seven and a half years. And he said he wanted to make his siyama shas at the yeshiva of Adelphia dinner because Rabbi Trank inspired him and he made the siyam at the dinner and he said at the siyam Rabbi Trank was standing right behind him while he was looking at his Gemara Rabbi Trank was standing right behind him with a smile and he said that Rabbi Trank was there smiling when I was drumming and he was standing there smiling while I was making my siyam ashas you know that that feeling that happened to you know a guy much older okay a guy much older and, and it didn't necessarily come from a parent, but it came from Rabbi Trank showed that he loved him, okay? that he loved him, that he feels that he's special and he appreciated what he wanted. So, so I don't think that that's my, my feeling. And if I'm right, you know, you know I hope I'm right. That I, I, and I think it's true by adults too. I think it's true by an adult as well. Like if, if, if we feel valued, if we feel valued for who we really are and for the talents that we really have and for the accomplishments that we really do, and people really notice it and say it, that builds us, that builds us up and builds our self-esteem, okay? Let's move on. We'll skip 1B for now in the interest of time. Number two, I'm not going to read it inside. I'll just tell it to you outside um, because it's getting late. But protect the child's surroundings. Dr. Sarotskin writes something amazing, and he gets it from Rav Isaac Sher, the late Rosh Hashiva of Slabodka, who says that a, that a, a bad friend, okay, a friend that knocks down Another child, okay? He says that that's what the Mishnah is referring to in Pirkei Avos when it talks about a shachin, when it talks about a shachin ra, a bad neighbor. And the Mishnah says you have to distance yourself from a bad neighbor. He says, Rav Isaac Sher says that means a bad neighbor is somebody who causes you to feel bad about yourself. And that bad neighbor could do a lot of mitzvahs. That bad neighbor could be a great Jew who learns, does a lot of learning, does dafyomi, you know, where's it sits us at, whatever it may be, right, is a wonderful, wonderful Jew, does tons of chesed. But if that person causes you to feel bad about yourself, 
So that's a bad neighbor, and you have to stay very far away from that person because. Well, let's see what, what is triggering you. What did you say? She's saying, why is it triggering you? Or see why it's or triggering see. you. Yeah, but if the person is really going at it and causing you oh, to yeah, feel yeah. to feel bad about yourself yeah. and they're knocking your self esteem. Yeah. So <laughs> so right. So this is one thing like you were saying, you know, you're asking before, what can we do as far as our kids? Okay? Certainly when it comes to younger kids, when it comes to older kids, we we uh, have a harder time or Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no ability to control who their friends are, but at the younger ages, it could be we could just we have to be aware. Like we have to be aware, we very often, I was thinking about this today when I was like uh, preparing for the sheer a little, like we all, so often we're nervous and we should be nervous about sheltering our kids when it comes to ruchnius and we should be, and we should be about, you know, outside influences and other people's homes and other kids and what they're exposed to and all that stuff. And we should be, and that's a very real concept. But no one ever talks about this of like sheltering our kids from that person who views them in a negative light and who's right. going to knock their self-esteem. What? We don't always know. We don't always see what goes on in school and what... Right, but, but sometimes you could pick it up. About yeah, yeah, right? And then they want to go back to play with them for fun, <clears throat> but then they come home and play. Right. 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 I saw this um, video meme, whatever. It was it must have been a psychologist, but it was very cool. It was a woman dancing with her teenage daughter or eight-year-old daughter. It was like a candle. Okay. She said she teaches this concept to her daughter starting from a very young age that, like, you, to avoid um, flame blowouts. Like you are a flame, and you see this. That's very and nice. It's really cool idea, and it's like the same concept. And I have it. I just seen it. It keeps coming up on my face. So you're you're like she's saying. That's very. That's it. You're going to meet people in the world who are going to want to blow out your flame. Walk away. Get away from them. They're not for you. Your flame should shine. The people you want to surround yourself with should shine your flame. Yeah. An example that I think about about bad neighbors who look down on you is kind of like if you're a from Jew, like you have people around you that are looking down on like those religious people. It could make, I don't know, I'm thinking it could make me feel like what's wrong with me? I'm like crazy, I'm mm-hmm. weird. It's kind of like, that's the example that I'm thinking of. Okay. Is when people look at you negatively then you start doubting your own self. Right, and that knocks our self-esteem. Right. And that knocks our self-esteem. Yeah, sometimes, now sometimes there's nothing we can do about it, right? right. We maybe that's try to right. just, ex- you know, distract ourselves with something else. They gotta be closer to us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> It means like, yeah, yeah, like, like, a good friend. You're surrounded by people who are like yeah. looking down on you, then you're starting to feel self-conscious. Maybe it's just someone who knocks you down. Right. Right. Somebody yeah. who knocks you down. Yeah. That kid. You know that. Because they could be You gotta protect your child. You have to teach your child to avoid the people who make you feel low. Happens to right now. I'm having this issue with my son. Another way this class. They're very good friends, and he's a very good boy from a very good family. And just this week, the school implemented like a no 
I guess, tolerance policy between them. Like, they're not allowed to look at each other. They're not allowed to talk to each other. Okay. They're not allowed to, like, acknowledge each other. They're in the same class. 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 They're not allowed to literally do anything. If they do, then they get repercussions. And honestly, my son's so happy this week. Because that's all he wanted. That's great. I think that's awesome. Making the drama, and he didn't want it. Yeah. And the school dealt with it. And I keep asking him how's it going. He's like, it's great. So yeah. Really, uh, yeah. Deals with, so, like, yeah. I mean, we have to. So well. Is what? Is what? What'd you say? She said, she said, good friend is like comfortable slippers. Yeah. Oh, it's the thing. It's the thing. Yeah. 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 She didn't have what was going on. You're so beautiful because otherwise you'd have no friends. And she didn't realize it's all until she was Okay, so let's 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 finish up. Let's finish up. The last two points. I'm going to summarize them real quick, and then we'll and then we'll go. The last two points. We'll just summarize them real fast. Catch your self-esteem throughout the day. The basic idea is like this: that a person should stop and ask themselves questions throughout the day. Once, in light of us thinking about our self-esteem, okay, then a person can start to actually catch what's going on in their own lives throughout the day. The example that he gives is: let's say you know a person comes to ask me my opinion, okay, about something, and I offer my opinion, and then they don't listen, so I get angry. So, so like, a person should stop and ask, like, wait, 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 I just got angry. Like, why did I get angry? Like, why did I just have this reaction? Why did I get upset? 
And ask yourself, ask yourself questions, right? Ask, not in front of other people, because then everybody will think you're weird, right? But, you know, ask, ask yourself, what, why did I just get in? Why did I just have that reaction? Why am I bothered by, why this, by what this other person just did to me? Whatever, or, you know, what they just said. Why am I bothered? Okay? And when a person does that and really probes within themselves, then we could come to the, to the emestika conclusion that it's really coming from, from low self-esteem. And then a person can stop and say, hey, wait a minute. No, no, I shouldn't feel that way. And a person can't do that. No, I should not feel that way. I'm an individual. I'm a person who has an opinion. He asked me my opinion. He doesn't have to listen to my opinion, but my opinion is valuable. Just because he didn't listen to me doesn't mean my opinion is no good. My opinion is valuable. My opinion is good. And I'm a person who can offer an opinion. And he doesn't have to listen. That's wonderful. And also sometimes the opinion, you say your opinion from your experience. Sometimes your experience is not yeah. helpful to that. But when yeah. it's, it doesn't mean it's not good. It just is. Right. It's just different. Right. But when it's a right. child asking a parent and then a parent gives advice and then the child doesn't take it, that's, that's a different thing. That's not the parent no. having low self-esteem. You just say to your child, like, what... If you ask me something, then you should take it. Yeah, that's, that could be a matter of respect. That could, but it could, it could also be, but it could be if the parent is really bothered, like they're right. really bothered. They have to ask themselves. You know, they have to ask themselves, where is this, where is it coming from? Right. You know? Last point is solidify your opinion. I think this is just a beautiful thought. Whenever you do anything, that you make a decision, um, whenever you, when, that you made a decision to do, the example he gives is a person buys a new article of clothing. And then all of a sudden afterwards, somebody is like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. So it's like, what, what is that? So the person should solidify their opinion and say, remind themselves constantly, I bought this outfit because I think it's really nice. I bought this outfit because I think it's beautiful. And I have a right to think that it's beautiful. I painted I my house a certain color. I paint, what was that? You're not allowed to say to someone that his uh, garment is not pretty even if they ask you, if they, you don't know for sure that they can return it. True. But we're talking about somebody who didn't ask. They just came and they offered their opinion. Right? right? They didn't ask, right? Those people, you know. So a person should, you know, I, I, a person painted their house and then somebody has some negativity to say about the color you chose. Well, what is that? You know? Remi- a person, and that helps to build a person's self-esteem by constantly reminding myself that the decision that I made is a good decision. It's a good decision. It's a proper decision. It's a healthy decision. So, Bezaz Hashem, through that, helping ourselves, which is the most important thing that uh, Rabbi Tursky says it's contagious. When we have he- healthy self-esteem and when we're working on our self-esteem, then it, the kids pick up on it and the kids also um, will naturally, I guess, have a, uh, have a healthier self-esteem. And in turn, if we try to do some of these tips to recognize their qualities, make them feel special, build them up, give them genuine compliments, um, catch this stuff throughout the day, this is Hashem. But if you feel like we should all have good self-esteem. Kind of what? Yeah. Right. So that's where she was saying that she's right. You know, nature and nurture. So part of it could be it, it could be built in. I think it could be built into the DNA. That could be a thing and. It, it's worthwhile to have a conversation with a therapist like about it. You know, it's like that, that's always like that can never hurt. Like to have a conversation with a therapist and uh, say, like, is this is this normal? Is this OK? And realize that we're all going to have low measures of self-esteem to a certain degree throughout our lives. You know, 
Yeah, but the point is to be able to be sensitive to this, recognize it, recognize it in our children, recognize it as far as our children's friends and all this stuff to help to help build it up, especially at a young age. You know, it's a uh, it's but a worthwhile I, thing. Yeah, I think that like we're talking before about uh, yeah, we no one's perfect, right? We can't hold people on a pedestal. except for no. I'm just kidding.